<laughs> and we're back with the worst intro music ever uh, to another episode of the Anarchist Experience. Coming to you live this Saturday morning now, because I'm actually live in Hawaii. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with... MC and... KS. And this is the episode 464, a.k.a. year 9, week 40. Um, and yeah, I like I thought I had everything with me to get the show up and running, and... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame Microsoft and Windows for not copying the MP3 file for the normal intro music over property properly. So you got that little messy intro music and, you know, that's on me. I take responsibility. Uh, but what is going on with you guys this week? Oh, not much. KS? Nothing in particular. Uh, right. You know, we have space landings and uh, forthcoming primaries. Um, Russia still, Navalny died so i got in a few days ago to hawaii and i almost immediately just reminded why i left and worse off because of the weather like i'm just hot <laughs> I, I run hot it's already hot i left new hampshire it was like a nut it was a brisk like 28 and on the flight over here as soon as they announced it over the intercom you know we're we're gonna be landing in honolulu and it's like a, a cool 72 and i immediately started sweating because it's just hot and so i've been miserable and my mom doesn't have ac i'm staying with my mom there's like no ac in the house so i've just been miserable and then i like i make my i make my way around town and you know the, the most immediate thing that jumps out to me is all the stupid traffic things that they've changed for like no apparent reason and i'm in town for my sister's wedding and one of her friends as part of the wedding party like we're you know we're just sitting around talking she's like what do you think of the humps like the humps like what are you talking about you know, the humps on the road. So, okay, so you guys are laughing. So you know what I'm talking about. They just slow everyone. It's like traffic's already bad, and they just slow everyone down more with humps all over the place for no apparent reason. And I get like, I get their excuse for the reason, but I'm saying no apparent reason because there's already speed limit signs, right? Like why they lower the speed limit, they put in the humps where there was congestion and it would open up into two lanes because of the humps, they've now taken away driving lanes to put nothing there. It's not even parking. It's like a shoulder. It's a shoulder lane with a no parking sign and has everyone narrow down into one lane plus a lowered speed limit plus humps. Where, like, where is this? Because I'm not familiar with You're not familiar. Okay. Drive yeah. through Kailua, Kaneohe, go up or down Poly Highway. And, and they've got like barriers. You know, I don't like safety partitions, I guess. You know, like, you're not allowed to change lanes here anymore. We're just blocking it off. Okay, Poly Highway then. Yeah, because yeah. that's, you know, to get mm -hmm. to and from town, that's mostly what I've been driving on. And I've, I haven't gone out much, but, like, when I do, I'm miserable. You know, again, <laughs> again, mostly because of the traffic, right? But, and, then, and then exacerbated by dumb stuff the state does, uh, probably in the name of safety. I'm, I'm pro-hump. You're pro. Go oh. <laughs> Please do go on. Tell me more. <laughs> Make I America mean, great again. <laughs> I mean, driving is kind of like a roller coaster, and it just adds a little bit more fun. You know? Okay. Like, <laughs> All right. So you you launched the hump then? Like yeah, you, yeah. Of course. Okay. I mean, it's, it's it's especially fun to you know when your passengers aren't ready for it, and you know they hit the ceiling, and <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Makes them put on their seatbelt even if they don't normally do it. <laughs> <laughs> That was the other fun thing. So the car, the car that I'm driving is uh, the car that I used to drive when I was here, when I lived here. And so I was like, I was kind of excited to drive it um, initially because it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not as beautiful as it was, but it's like an old 1989 
Cadillac Eldorado Baritz. Like it was top of the line, was it 35 years ago, right? Top of the line stuff. And so, you know, it's, but it's big, it's a V8, but it drives like a boat, boat. And apparently they can't get the shocks for it. So they can't fix it because they don't make them anymore. And, you know, they got to find a junkyard or someone who could do it. And they haven't, um, but you know, going over those humps in that thing, it like, it bottoms out. If I, if I launch it, it bottoms out, you know, so it's like, bam, instead of, <laughs> <"Wee."> <laughs> if I was, if I was driving, you know, like my car or a, a, a truck or an SUV or something, then maybe, um, but yeah, if, if your only reason to be pro hump is because it's fun and it makes it like a roller coaster, you know, then cool. Like I can, I'll, I'll accept that. But as far as the state controlling it, you know, it, it, it reminds me, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, my auntie and my cousins and my grandparents lived in uh, Mililani. And to slow people down, um, they put in chicanes. Do you know what chicanes are? No. They're like a little S curve. Oh. So you have to slow down to go through the S. Oh, okay. Right. And then because, you know, unfortunately, like skipped my generation and I don't know about the next generation, but my uncles, my dad, my grandparents or my grandfather, like were, they were a racing family. And so when they put into the chicanes, they're like, oh, it's just another way to like figure out what line you're going to take, <laughs> you know, through this little area. Like how quickly can you maneuver the chicane, you know? And when I was here, um, they took it. I, oh yeah, it did. Now that I, now that I'm thinking about it, they took it off. Um, on the Cadillac, I had a, a suicide knob. Are you familiar with that? No. It's a little. It's a little spinner knob you put in the steering wheel so you can drive one hand. Oh okay, yeah, yeah. And so like, go, why go, suicide though? I mean, what, why? Is I that? don't know. That's just the. That's what I've. That's what I've heard okay. it called. Probably because you only have one hand on the wheel. Oh okay. But if you you know if you if makes more sense if you're like driving a stick. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, there's one hand on the wheel, one hand on, on the, on the stick. Uh, and then you could, but I, you know, I was, I was good with that thing. I was good anyway. Like I, again, another story. I just remember a time I was driving through a parking lot um, in a wholly different car. And my buddy was like on his motorcycle and the parking lot, like I was cutting across the parking lot because who needs to follow the arrows, right? Like this is part of being the anarchist. I don't follow the arrows, but they had, you know, the parking barricades, you know, where the cars would, you know, to, to stop the wheels from going full. And I was like swerving left and right to avoid the barricades. And my buddy on his motorcycle, which you would think had more maneuverability than a car or an SUV, like almost hit the barricade. He had to stop and like walk it back and then, you know, go on from there. <laughs> and when he finally caught up with me, he's like, Rich, I'm amazed that, you know, like your driving ability. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, that literally from like my point of view looked like Grand Theft Auto. Like all of a sudden the car was just sideways and then it was going in a different direction. <laughs> and I couldn't do it on the motorcycle. Like, <laughs> but doing with the suicide knob, it makes that sort of maneuver much easier. So I had, you know, I had that. I never put it on my car uh, in New Hampshire and I probably should because it makes everything more fun. But, you know, so I get it, right? If you, you know, if it, if it makes the drive more fun, at least personally, like, okay, fine, yeah, whatever. You know, you're you're not as opposed to it as me. I think it's better than uh, installing more uh, police. Okay. So, got to hand it to them. You know, their 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 laziness is, uh, you know, making it so where there's not more more police doing things. You know, the the least they the, the less they do, the better. You know, if they just stayed home until we called them, that would be closer to ideal. I mean, was there an epidemic of traffic accidents while I was gone? 
were people getting run over daily? Well, there, it's always been a problem here, yes. <laughs> there was a, an incident reported this week because a guy had been charged with, um, I guess, negligent homicide. He had, or, uh, he had run over several people and killed one. And in the record, they said, well, he had 164 uh, traffic citations and didn't have a license. And, um, and it seemed like if this guy is so reckless... How come it's so hard to get him to stop driving? Um, I, uh, I have a feeling maybe uh, you know some obstacles in the in the highway may have been more effective than uh, any police citations. But um, I found it odd if it was a privately operated highway, um, they'd have him in jail for trespassing. I mean, if if you violate the rules of the road, then then you're you're gone. Um, but it seems like there's no particular form of way of, of uh, getting and, and this wasn't uh, the only case just a month before there was another guy sided with having killed somebody um, a pedestrian and he had 74 traffic citations um, I mean pretty bad driver okay. and yet there <laughs> how, was nothing how many, really obstructing him from continuing to do it how, how many citations do you have well, none that I know of. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Driving must be pretty hard. So as, as the resident bad driver then, like I, I think I did a pretty good job of, you know, explaining my skill set behind the wheel, right? But I also don't have a license. I don't know if you do this, Ken. I, don't, I mean, the fact that, uh, I mean, that you, I don't suppose you've killed many people. I've not killed anybody. <laughs> well, good. That's, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah. Despite my best efforts. <laughs> But my, my point is, um, I, I would want to know more about his traffic citations only because... Yeah, I uh, know there's all kinds of things right. that could be... Uh, like a lot, like the, the, main, the main reason that I don't have a driver's license is because I don't pay the fines, mm-hmm. right? Like no victim, no crime. I'm not paying you if I haven't actually victimized anybody. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my citations were... Um, Driving without registration, driving without the safety inspection. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they they tried to get me once. I think they got me once on a reckless driving, and that was over. Like they they blew that one out of proportion. And the second time they tried to get me for reckless driving, it was thrown out pre-trial. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the best job I've ever had an actual public defender do. You know, mm-hmm. like we got to we got to do this pre-trial because uh, during the reckless driving arrest. They found my brass knuckles and like, well, that's a felony. So we got to, you know, we got to get that thrown out. So we had the pretrial stuff. It's a felony to have brass, nu- brass, brass knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> you can carry a gun, but not brass knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> Seems bizarre to me, mm-hmm. but they go, you know, they said brass knuckles can never be used in defense. <laughs> and that's that's has always been the justification for for banning brass offense knuckles. would be okay <laughs> well no that. that's the thing they, they don't mm-hmm. want you using it offensively but because it cannot be used defensively it's oh. illegal so my my real knuckles can they be used as defense <laughs> i don't know good question <laughs> but hey, this is a felony i'm walking around with <laughs> yeah. you have a ring on that's a knuckle a brass knuckle or a gold knuckle but that's 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 my it's my understanding that that's the justification. So during the during the pre-trial to get that part of it thrown out because the the knuckles were in my bag, hidden away, and it was determined to be an unconstitutional search for the brass knuckles, mm. fruit of the poisonous tree, that's thrown out. Mm-hmm. But in order to get to that part, they had to prove that the initial stop 
was also unconstitutional and that starts the the poisonous mm. tree. And so the cop said like he accelerated rapidly. You know, he, he he when he left the light, he went too quickly and the public defender was like <laughs> this is I'm serious. The public the public defender was like, "Okay, so he was in like the middle lane. What what position was he in the middle lane?" And the cop was like, "He was in position number 2." So there was a car in front of me. Mm-hmm. And she goes like and when he accelerated rapidly, did he, <laughs> did he impact the car in front? Like, no. So, and, the, and the car in front was just proper. proper right. Yeah. The car in front, not accelerating too rapidly. But my acceleration to not hit that car too rapid, you know. And then an improper lane change because I signaled to like, you know, I needed to, I was needed to make a right. And so I accelerated to change lanes in, in front of, you know, to get over. And that's, you know, that's when he turned on his lights from like the far left lane and cut all the way across to the right to, to stop me. Um, and I will, I will say this, the likelihood is I was targeted because at the time um, I, you know, found it fun to have uh, an abundance of anti-state bumper stickers on the back of my car. So the, like I drew their ire, you know, more often than not. And I think that was the impetus for the initial stop. Um, but because, because I didn't hit the car in front, right. Then everything else fell apart from there. And that, and that would got thrown out. So point being, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I think we looked up the statistics too, but point being, I'm not a bad driver and somewhere in the neighborhood of like 84% of all traffic accidents are caused by people with licenses. So the fact that you don't have a driver's license is not even indicative of your skill on the road. Yeah. And if even in your private road scenario, right, the something bad would have to happen for you to like know that he was not supposed to be there. Right. Well, if it's a private road, actually they can set any kind of rules they want and, um, and not abiding by whatever rules they say. I mean, they, they could say you don't have, you're not allowed to have bumper stickers because it'll distract the other drivers or something. If it's a private road, I'd say they have a right to do that, but the government doesn't. <laughs> well, because then I, they're going after freedom of speech. They, they have a right. Certainly. <laughs> But what I'm what I'm suggesting is if the if the if the rules of the road are too onerous, they won't have clients. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. That's right. why they temper what they what they restrict. Yeah, right. They want to attract customers. And so even if you put up a toll and the bad driver, <clears throat> right, with all these driving citations, pays the toll, he's going to be on your private road because I don't think many people would stand for a private road with like know your customer restrictions where you have to flash some sort of ID or check in with them before entering, you know, what would normally be used as a public thoroughfare, right? If this was to get on private property and drive around someone's farm, you know, then maybe, but if you're talking about normal highway driving to get from point A to point B, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that the road provider is going to make that onerous to, to do. And so even in on a private road, Right, people like that are going to get on, and on a private road, if you go no drunk driving, right? People with access to the private road that paid their, you know, paid their premium or paid their, you know, their subscription or whatever, are going to enter drunk. Right, you, you're not going, you don't get away from that just because it's a private road. The only thing that happens is what's the penalty after the fact if they're caught, right? And if your private road, like the public road, requires some sort of infraction before you get caught, right, then you're still going to end up with people getting into accidents, you know? Mm-hmm. And well, you don't you, get away from that. You raise the interesting thing about uh, a toll road because they, interestingly, have a the monitor by this scanning device that, that can 
instantly check your your record you know have you paid the toll or are you on record for you know traffic violations or something like that um but you're right generally i mean you go into a private road when you go into a Moana shopping center it's right. a private road and by the way they have lots of humps probably more humps than anybody down there but it's their their primary concern is the is the safety and convenience of their pedestrians walking all over the place and you know that's how they set it out i guess Right, and which is why you know the state probably used the same excuse. Yeah, these humps start to slow you down for the pedestrians. Poly Highway. I've I've been up there just yeah, just this week, and uh, I saw all the yeah, there are lots of humps, lots of little barriers along the side, and yeah. something like that. And I I'm wondering is is their effort to do do they do this so that they don't have to put in more traffic lights? Because even they also have lots of traffic lights up there too. But maybe they. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I don't, I mean, I used to live up there too in Nuwana Valley, uh, and it's gotten much more obstructed in yes. traveling in there for sure. And that's, and that's why I asked: is it, is, is the pedestrian accidents like that bad? Yeah, right. Like, I would say probably. Really? Yes. And the and, and the police don't like enforcing the regulations, the speed limits. Good. So everybody, everybody drives over them. The speed limit signs are. It's are, a steep hill. Just coast down. You coast down. You're going seventy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Speed limit signs don't do anything here, and and the police are lazy, and everybody knows that. So everybody uh, goes over the speed limit, which is fine. Okay. Um, well, I but, got caught once going up the poly, and that was. Not but pleasant. if but if you want to slow people down, humps are one way of doing it without having more people in the way. So. Yeah, and and again, I guess I. I tend to like to follow like the natural order of things. So comparatively in New here's one thing I don't like about New Hampshire and it's not the traffic laws. It's the way people drive. So on the freeway, if you're going North or South on the freeway, in my experience, people go way over the speed limit. But if you go East to West on the highway, people go at the speed limit or below. North and South is uh, going downhill. Right. Yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't, I, and I don't get it, right? Like, if the mentality is to drive fast, then fucking drive fast going left to right. You know, like, what's why Why is that culturally different? I, I haven't pinpointed it yet. But point being, you know, if the, the, the law should follow the natural inclination of people, right? If the, if the posted speed limit uh, through a neighborhood is 55, the chances are the people who live in that neighborhood aren't going to be going 55, Right, it will. They will naturally go slower, and I know this because the posted speed limit in New Hampshire, whatever it is, you know, fifty or fifty-five. The natural order of things is for people to go forty-five or fifty. Right, they're just slower than the speed limit, the, and it's the, not because of cops. The general driver, I think, what they're what any neighborhood worries about is the exceptional uh, race car driver that decides to zoom through with his, uh, you know, and and. Uh, show off to his girlfriend or something like that. Yeah, and and again, I don't want, I'm I'm not going to name names or put anyone on blast, but I I have ridden in a Tesla with a buddy of mine <laughs> through a neighborhood and it was, "Look, I can go 60 or 65 because it's so quiet it doesn't disturb the neighbors." I'm like, "All right, cool." Yeah. You know, like, as long as you don't hit anybody, like what's the problem, you know? And if you do hit somebody, then there's there's natural repercussions to that. You will you know, private court, public court, you will be found guilty of some sort of human violation and have a penalty assessed, mm. you know? So having, you know, if, if the natural order of things through that highway 
is for people to come speeding down at 70. Well, guess that, guess what the speed limit is 70. And if you're a pedestrian and you know that don't cross in the middle of the road, right? Walk down to the next stoplight and cross where it's safe, where you have the right of way. And when you step out onto the road, look both ways anyway, and make sure there's not someone going 70 speeding through. Because even if the, you know, even if the speed limit was less and they're not paying attention, you're at risk. Yeah. Like the big one, the only traffic problem that I remember ever having around here was like on King street. Cause it's five lanes wide and it's a one way. And there's little old people who are like trying to cross at the crosswalk five lanes wide and they're slow. Right. And I'm like, don't cross there. Right. If you're, if you're old and mobile, mobilize your ass down to the stop sign and wait for five cars to stop at the line and then cross safely and walk back, right? Like you, you take some personal responsibility for your own safety when you step out on the road. Like it, it, it's always boggled my mind uh, why the, you know, 200 pound meat popsicle has the right of way over the 3000 pound metal death machine, right? That, and people, people get entitled because the state tells them they, they have the right and then they end up roadkill instead of just going like, I don't care if I have the right, I'm not gonna get hit today, right? Like that makes, that makes more sense to me. The 3000 pound death machine shouldn't have to slam on their brakes to try to avoid you because you have the right of way. You should dodge them or not put yourself in danger in the first place. And maybe if it were more fun going over the humps or maybe when I'm old and immobile and I don't wanna like hump my ass up to the next crosswalk, maybe I'll change my tune, but unlikely because I try to remain principled. But yeah, so you know, that just the price, the price of everything, you know, like prices are going up everywhere. And yesterday morning, I went to the bakery to get some alisadas because it's like a two-hour drive to get any of that stuff in New Hampshire. And I got to go to Massachusetts. And I hate going they to Massachusetts. Apparently, there's a large Portuguese contingent, you know, in Massachusetts in general, um, but in one little town way down close to Rhode Island. Like, mm-hmm. they con- somehow they congregated there and stayed. Um, and upon learning this, we went down to get some Portuguese sausage and some alisadas. And they weren't as good as the stuff you can get here, obviously. Um but I went to pick some up yesterday and I, you know, I bought two dozen. I got, all right, two dozen, no problem. You know, I, I've got my vacation budget, so I'm not, I'm not concerned with spending money and I'll get two dozen because there's a lot of people in the house for the wedding and, you know, I just do the right thing. How many of those, how many of those two dozen do you eat personally? Uh, I ate three yesterday and three this morning. So I ate 25% okay, of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you know, I usually eat things in even numbers, but like, Two donuts is too little and four donuts is too much. So I break my own rule when it comes to pastries and I usually eat about three. It's, 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 it hurts every time I do it. But then I make it up the next day, right? So three today, three tomorrow, and I ate six and I'm good. I balanced it out. But my mom goes like, you know, let me pay you back for that, you know, because you shouldn't have to be spending your money. I'm like, well, I don't think you want, number one, I don't think you want to do that. I got it. You know, this is my gift because everyone else is doing nice things for me and all that other fun stuff. You know, plus, like, you don't want to know how much this cost. And she goes, well, I can't pay you. I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, I got it. And she, I'm like, well, how much, like, how much do you think I spent on this? And she went, like, 60 bucks. And I went, close. It's hmm. like 50 bucks for, like, two dozen donuts. Wow. Right. Wow. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, that was my reaction. I'm like, all right, whatever. Swipe the credit card. I'll pay this off later. I'm on vacation. So I'm not going to worry myself with, you know, with that stuff. Yeah. But that's, you know, everything's, everything's expensive. I drove by, I'm, dr- I'm driving the Cadillac 
right? So it's it it's a gas guzzler. It's more than a gas guzzler. That thing will drink gas parked. And I, <laughs> it's and again, it's a V8. And I know this because when I was driving it initially, it tells you how many gallons of gas are left, right? And so I would drive to work and I'd get into the car. I would start the car and it would say like, you have 15 gallons of gas. I'm like, all right, 15 gallons of gas. And I would get to work. And when I parked my car at work, it would say like, you have 14 gallons of gas. <laughs> and I'd go, okay, cost me about five bucks to get to work. And then I'd go to work. And my car would just stay there. Like, it, it did not help me do the work. It just stayed there. And then I would leave work and get back into the car. And it would say, you have 13 gallons of gas. <laughs> and then I would drive home. And when I get home, it would say, like, you have 12 gallons. Of gas. I'm like, what, where does that missing gallon come from? Like, you were, when I parked, you had 14. And when I got back in, it was 13. You drank a whole gallon of gas. You cost me, like, five bucks parked while I was at work. You know? So, like, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm. I'm a nice son. They're lending me the car. I'm going to top off the tank, you know, before I leave, regardless. But I'm with, scoped with gasoline. With gasoline, that's <laughs> okay. what it drinks. It doesn't, it doesn't drink the diesel. But uh, you know, I'm driving by. I'm like, man, it's it is close to five bucks per gallon of gas here, at least where I'll be putting the gas. And where where I put in New Hampshire, it's outrageously priced at like three bucks. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what is going on? Back. Uh, Back when Trump was president, you know, the, the lowest I paid in New Hampshire, I think it got down to like 129 or something. Wow. At one point, a few years ago, when there was like the the abundance of oil. The lowest price I ever paid. Oh, Fredly, you joined. Great. Turn yourself up while you're eating your cookie. Can you hear us? Aloha, il fettuccine here. I'm on my cell phone. More fettuccine. Can you hear us, Fred? My vo our voice isn't going into him. Oh. What? Hmm. Can you hear? Fred, say something if you can hear. No? No, it's silent. Anyway, I'll keep talking while you figure yeah. that out. Yeah, so anyway, so... You know, lost him again? It was outrageous. Testing one, too. Yeah, see, the audio's not going in. Hmm. Fred, are you there? No, he's not here. Not. Okay, shoot. And the audio's not working. I have no idea. It's just not working. It's just not going out to them? Yeah, it's not going. Oh. That's okay. We'll just pretend like we're the only ones on like we normally do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you know, uh, the lowest the lowest I've ever put for gas was ninety nine cents in Spokane, Washington, like my first year of college. My, the lowest I ever paid was twenty cents. Yeah, well, you've got some decades on me. So, you know, <laughs> I wish, but I've I've only in my that's, lifetime that's as an adult, had, I've only seen it in two digits once. When they had uh, a gas war, gasoline war between two gas stations, so when one gas station went down to twenty cents, the other gas station rented a uh, a tanker and. Went over and <laughs> filled it up and brought it over to his, across the street. Nice. <laughs> oh, Mute. should I answer him? No, let's turn it off. <laughs> Just turn your ringer off. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Well, he's not going to join via phone call. Tech support. Anywho, so yeah, so gas, every, everything is expensive. You know, my mom's doing her normal grocery shopping for the week, and she's like, I can only shop when it's like two for five Fridays or something like that at the grocery store because then that's when stuff gets cheap. And so I'm flipping through the, the same ads as she's is and just making mental comparisons on how much less I pay where I am versus the nonsense going on here. And that's kind of been like my trip so far. I haven't, I haven't really done anything, just kind of been hanging out. Um, that's good. I haven't been doing anything either. That's a normal for me. Yeah. You know, I would like to start a business someday, but it's kind of like, do I really want to get involved? Do I really want to be harassed by 
anybody else but customers. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, well, I mean, if you get the RV thing going on the mainland, then you could, whatever business you do, you could make like the rounds to all the Liberty festivals around the country, right? And pitch your wares or whatever out of there where it's cash or crypto and only, only amongst what I'll call our Liberty-minded community members as opposed to setting up shop where the government takes a cut. That's a good idea. Come down to Pork Fest, the, was it the uh, Northwest Peace and Liberty Fest, or I forget the one they had down in the Phoenix area. Liberty Liberty Fest? I forget. Freedom Fest. Freedom Fest. Anarchapulco, right? You can RV down there, see what happens. I think they just had that recently. It's not going to work, but <laughs> he, can, he can try again, but it's not going to work. There's a tech problem on our end. I don't know what it is. Okay. It'll take me a few hours to fix, probably. <laughs> I forget. The, I think it might have been Tulsi Gabbard. She's in line for Trump's running mate. Or at least that's what they're pitching. And apparently she's going to be at Liberty Forum this year in New Hampshire. And I don't I don't quite know how I feel about that yet. Like she was friendly to libertarians, I guess. Like there's a lot of them up there that like her. And I'm not sold on it necessarily. But yeah, that's been my trip. Headlines? Yeah. Headlines. So I'm on, a, I'm on a janky travel laptop. So bear with me as it takes a minute to click through here. Headline. Oh. Hawaii, poised to slap tourists with $25 climate tax. Small price to pay to preserve paradise. Uh, Headline, no, science has not proven Mises wrong on socialism. Headline, maybe. Uh, Texas celebrates taking Island back from the cartel after a military operation. Uh, Headline, the bitter truth behind sugary soda taxes. Headline, sue and settle. Looks like some crony democracy and under Biden's law-faring eco-politics, it's back. Uh, Headline, the average U.S. household is spending, this is outrageous, $1,019 more a month just to buy the same goods and services it did three years ago. Not surprising. Okay, not, I get, what's surprising to me, you know, we could get into it if you want to, I won't read the article yet, but that number seems high because it makes me feel well below average. Because I can't afford another thousand bucks a month on anything. Like I'm not paycheck to paycheck, but a thousand and nineteen extra dollars a month would like ruin me. And so if the average household's doing that, then you know someone at the top there is really picking up the burden. I think the average household is part of the the socialism experiment the government is running, and and uh, they're getting government paychecks that keep going up, and you're not. Okay. (laughs) Let me finish these headlines, and we'll talk about that in a moment because that's one. As you bring it up, that's one other thing that I want to mentioned here about my trip uh headline state picks up travel tab for migrants who want to leave chicago uh headline don't let crime fears undermine americans rights and finally headline california bill banning landlords no dog policies uh is anti-choice and anti-urban so again i'm i'm here because my sister is having a wedding and i don't i'm like i'm only here for like four days man and it's it's a short trip just for the primarily just for the wedding um, and so I'm trying not to insert myself into any drama, but it's, it surrounds me cause everyone talks and I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> if they weren't family or friends of family, like this would be, this would be one of those internet arguments that MC has. All <laughs> yeah. Cause like my, my sister has a, a federal government job. <laughs> right. And so I get all the examples of their waste. Like, oh yeah, we just threw a whole bunch of stuff out cause they, we needed the budget for next year. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That's right. Right. And, you know, because she works on a military base or installation or whatever, you know, she's got friends in town who like are in the military 
you know, they're like, you know, one of them, they're talking about, well, when you're, when you're done with your deployment and you're out and whatever, you know, like where you want to move to and, you know, like put Hawaii back on the list. And then they're talking about, well, well, where would you stay? Like, would you stay on base? Would you get one of those on base houses? I'm like, we're like on, you know, there's some people that believe we're on the cusp of like World War III. I'm like, why would you move to a target? <laughs> if they're going to bomb the middle, like, why would anyone be here? We had the, you, we had the missile scare a few years ago with the false, the false flying of the North Korean missile, right? But if, if they're going to launch something to take out military on this side, of the, this is the target, right? That was, that was the whole Pearl Harbor thing, you know, almost like 80 years, is it 80 years ago now? Like it's a target. <laughs> there's there's wars going on everywhere, and you want to you want to live in a place with no exits, right? And the blast radius is the whole island. <laughs> Makes no sense to me, <laughs> right? If if a missile is inbound, I you know if if, if a missile is inbound in New Hampshire, right? I can go three thousand miles west and just keep driving and hope I get out of the blast radius range <laughs> in time as fast as I can go. But like, you know, again, it reminds me of in, um, in high school, um, you know, we had friends who were like, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get like a motorcycle, you know, that way I can like outrun the cops on the freeway. And another one of my friends goes like, dude, where are you going to run to? It's an Island. You can't get out of their jurisdiction on a motorcycle. You've got nowhere to go. They'll just put someone else on the other side and catch you there. But yeah, you know, so that was. You know, all the, all the talk about, oh yeah, you know, your cousin or your uncle, or your brother, or whoever, the neighbor's kid, they're like trying to do something with their life. And so they're thinking about joining the military. I'm like, you fucking mooches, you parasites. I don't tell them this, of course, because I'm not getting involved, but you know, it's, it's been the, the walk away part of the conversation. Yeah. I was talking about that uh, with another friend and I said, you know, in Europe, they, they have, you know, socialism in their, their own way, you know, free healthcare, free school, free, you know, they keep adding on the free stuff. And in the U S if you want free stuff, you have to join the military. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, but it's still free stuff and people don't understand that, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And, and people still are, you know, the military is still having a hard time, you know, recruiting people, which is hilarious. And lowering standards. They've, they've got all the free stuff and people are like, eh, nah, I'd, I'd rather not. <laughs> well, and, and so here's the thing, you know, so like you, you join the military, you do your 20 years or whatever, and then you get all the benefits. I'm yeah. like, or die, yeah, right? Like you, that's the, that's the trade-off. If, if you last that long, you'll get the benefits, but you could die and get nothing. Mo most like, I mean, if you're going on trends, most likely uh, you're, you're not going to die in the military. Okay. Even if you get deployed to Iraq, you have pretty pretty good chance of, of surviving that ordeal. Um, now, if I, I tell people this too, and, and it's sad, but could 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 be beneficial to those who take take advantage of it. Um, join the military, uh, you know, save all your pennies and, and up until you can buy a house, and then your retirement can just pay the rest. You don't have to do anything if you don't want to. Um, you're not gonna have a uh, a glorious lifestyle, but uh, you won't have to work anymore. Yeah. I, ha I had a, a co-worker slash friend like that. He was a good friend after being a co-worker. Um, but he was out of the military for a little, he did his four years or whatever, got out. And then he was getting like a thousand bucks a month or whatever. Not in retirement, but just to like go to school. Oh, which, yeah. That's the GI Bill. But he squandered it because he didn't take any classes. He just like spent the money. Dumb stuff. or I don't know what he did. Cool. Right. Um, 
And then, you know, after not making a, a lot of money in like the private sector, he's like, yeah, I think I'm going back in the middle. And so he did. He like went back in, you know, afterwards because like, whatever. It's like, ah, stop doing stuff like that. You make it hard to be friends. <laughs> like, I don't, I like you, but I don't need friends that bad. Yeah. You know, I have one, I, I had one friend, I'll call him an acquaintance now because I haven't spoken to him in a while, but he's like the only, the only cop that I would ever call a friend, you know? He was like, oh yeah, it's just sit in the car. And like, if you flick the sirens on, I'm like, why are you doing that? You're like antagonizing. I ignore the fact that you're a cop in order to hang out and be friends with you. Don't rub it in my face because it'll force me to like not be friends with you. You keep talking to me about, you know, all of all of your family members going in the military. I'm like, I don't really want to be family with you then either. Like, stop doing that. I ignore it to be cordial, but if you bring it up and consistently bring it up, I'm going to stop being cordial very soon. I kind of wanted to hear about uh, why why uh, Mises is not wrong about um, uh, socialism being a bad thing. Yeah, Got it. That struck me too. All right, let's do it then. Headline, no, science has not proven Mises wrong on socialism. Uh, in response to the many shortcomings of the Soviet Union, Mao Zedong's China and Venezuela, the refrain, it wasn't real socialism, has emerged as a rallying cry among apologists of socialism. Uh, some readily admit that the failures of these regimes and, uh, and attribute the failures to capitalism rather than socialism. Some refuse to recognize the failure whatsoever. They see these experiments as a genuine instances of real socialism and perceive them to be unequivocal successes. How can this happen? Don't we have mountains of evidence that these regimes were catastrophic failures? That is definitely the case, but these socialists also claim to have mountains of evidence in their favor, at least enough to catch a capitalist off guard. Uh, and I'll interject real quick, that might be your European thing of all the, you know, the free healthcare and free stuff that you were mentioning, AC, uh, MC. Uh, most Americans have been taught their whole lives that the USSR was hell on earth. But how, how are they to react when they're given sources that say things like how the CIA data shows these Soviet citizens lived better lives than Americans, or that the Soviet Union abolished homelessness. These claims are obviously false, but skeptics, skeptics of capitalism and America writ large find them enticing. Most shocking of all, the, the socialists claim that they have definitive proof that the socialism, socialism is better than capitalism. They point to a 1986 study that compared socialist countries to capitalist ones. The study uses the Physical Quality of Life Index, which examines things like infant mortality rate, life expectancy, daily caloric intake, doctors per capita, and adult literacy of any given nation. The case concludes that the data indicated that the socialist countries generally have achieved better physical quality of life outcomes than the capitalist countries at equivalent levels of economic development. Bad science. The paper looks over 100 countries and divided them into various groups based on their economic system. The only additional control variable is economic development, which is measured using the gross national product per capita. The economic systems are split into centrally planned, socialist, and market, capitalists, using classifications from the United Nations. The results from the paper appear to contradict the fact that in centrally planned economy, economic calculation is technically impossible. According to Hans Hermann Hoppe, socialism must be conceptualized as an institutionalized interference with or aggression against private property and private property claims. A socialist economy abolishes the very institution of private property. 
Ludwig von Mises demonstrated that with the abolition of private property and by extension the exchange of capital goods, price signals can no longer show producers where resources and more are more efficiently and rationally allocated. When a good costs $50 to produce but can only be sold for $5, it's clear that the final product is less valuable to consumers than the inputs themselves. With no such signals, central planners are firing shots in the dark. If socialist economies are uh, epistemic, epistemically, uh, in, nope, there's, there's no logically in there. Epistemically, I'll let you read it later. Uh, incapable of producing better outcomes, why does the data show otherwise? Capitalist countries do outperform socialist ones. However, since these capitalist countries are high income, they apparently don't count. How countries are compared using economic development ensures that Japan, Finland, Canada, United States, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Switzerland are not compared to the likes of the USSR, Cuba, and China. This is a case of deliberate sample selection bias. An economic system is not only a factor in the nation's relative success, other factors such as geography, religion, and war can affect economic growth and physical well-being. In the study, almost every country under the capitalist category is located in Africa, while almost none of the socialist countries are from the continent. Africa not only has some of the least hospitable geography, but the period of the study was filled with war and conflicts. The study does not account for the countless variables that were impacting the quality of life in these countries. The authors, oh, lost my, sorry. The authors didn't even try. That just makes it bad science. I was pressing the down arrow and my stuff was scrolling the wrong direction. Bad data. Uh, for the sake of argument, we could assume that all of these comparisons are fair and that we don't need more variables controlled for. Even so, we'd still run into numerous problems. Uh, the authors of the study say that they get their data from the World Bank, but most of the data from socialist countries came from their respective governments. To be fair, the authors didn't have immediate access to the information we have today, but their modern-day parrots have no excuse. In 1989, two Soviet-born economists, uh, Vladimir Popov and Nikolai Shemilev, published a book that revealed the absolute disarray of the Soviet economy. In The Turning Point, they revealed, that's the name of the book, they revealed that official statistics were distorted throughout the outright falsification of data and argued that these statistics at the time required major revisions. The historians S.G. Wheatcroft, Mark Harrison, and R.W. Davies argued in 1994 that these distortions happened because they were strong incentives to participants in the system at every level to exaggerate their reported results. This is just one of the many consequences many consequences of the quotas introduced by central planning. While not everyone knew these things during the Cold War, they are common knowledge today. The falsification of data didn't stop with the Soviet Union. Today, socialist regimes like Cuba continuously release unreliable statistics that make their citizens appear much better off than they are. Apologists claim that Cuba has a better life expectancy than the United States, but this has been refuted time and time again. Economist Roberto Gonzalez found evidence that Cuban doctors seem to be reclassifying early neonatal infant deaths as late fetal deaths to meet quotas. This would, meet, this would make the infant mortality rate appear much lower than it is. Thus, socialist statistics are consistently untrustworthy. It wasn't real capitalism. Even if we were very generously accepted the socialist conceit that all the data is perfectly reliable, the issues with the 1986 study don't stop there. As previously established, the study's authors used UN classifications to separate the socialist countries from the capitalist ones. The problem, the UN got things horribly wrong. The authors knew this. 
The UN failed to classify both Cuba and Yugoslavia as centrally planned economies, yet they're both labeled socialist in the study. The authors corrected the UN's mistake, but only partially. Cuba and Yugoslavia were not only mislabeled countries, at least 19 centrally planned economies were labeled market economies by the UN. Syria was labeled a market or capitalist economy by both the UN and the authors of the 1986 study. Syria's Arab Socialist Ba'ath Party became its ruling party in 1963. In October of that year, the Syrian Congress adopted propositions with terms like class struggle and scientific socialism. By 1986, the government dominated the economy, accounting for three-fifths of the gross domestic product. Is it fair to label a country as a capitalist failure when the private sector accounts for less than half of the economy? Another country in the study proudly labeled as capitalist was Burma, now Myanmar. From 1962 to 1988, Myanmar was under a plan called the Burmese Way to Socialism. In February 1963, the Enterprise Nationalization Law was decreed. All major industries were nationalized, including oil, banks, newspapers, and more. Over 15,000 private firms were nationalized, and Myanmar became a Soviet-style planned economy. These two examples show that the economic classifications used in the study are almost complete nonsense. The mislabeled countries were some of the poorest performers in the study, so the mistakes significantly skewed the final result. The counter evidence. Since the 1980s, it is fair to say that empirical analysis has improved significantly. More recent and rigorous studies tend to find very different results than those two Marxists did in 1986. A 2008 study examined 44 Eurasian countries for variables like religion, geography, cultural ancestry, and communism to see their impacts on the Human Development Index, HDI, health, income, and education. The quote-unquote communism variable is equivalent to the classification of socialism in the 1986 study. The authors found that communism significantly negatively predicts HDI income and health indices. These results from more rigorous studies paint a much different story than the commonly cited 1986 paper. In 2013, a paper by economists Joshua Hall and Robert Lawson examined over 400 academic papers that utilize the Fraser Economic Freedom of the World Index and examined its effects on various measures of quality of life. What is the Economic Freedom of the World Index? According to the authors in the index, higher scores are accorded to nations with more secure property, freer trade, more stable money and prices, less government spending and fewer regulations. The economists found that over two-thirds of the studies found economic freedom corresponding with good outcomes such as faster growth, better living standing, more happiness. Less than 4% of them found economic freedom to be associated with a poor outcome such as increased income inequality. The empirical evidence overwhelmingly suggests that capitalism provided a substantial, substantially better quality of life with almost no negative trade-offs. Conclusion. Shirley Caresto and Howard uh, Waitzkin's 1986 paper fails to prove that a socialist economic system is superior to a capitalist one in terms of physical quality of life. The data is fought, fought, fraught with flaws and does not come close to disproving Mises' thesis that socialist calculation is impossible. Furthermore, rigorous scientific research and historical analysis empirically verify Mises' theoretical conclusions. End of the article. I'll throw it over to you guys. Uh, you were interested. What, are, what is your take uh, on the impossibility of the socialist calculation problem? Um, well, that was a long way of saying, well, they got the data wrong. <laughs> you know, well, with a lot of citations. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it makes sense why they would get the data wrong. They're just trying to prove the impossible, that centralization somehow works. Is it is it fair? Because we we say this a lot when when the socialists come forward and they say like, it wasn't real socialist, right? And when they point to failures 
um, in the current market model, right? Prevalent in most of the world, we will throw back at them. Well, that's not real capitalism. Sure. And so it's, you know, it's a tale of we're not getting the real thing of anything, potentially. And so how do you know which one is actually better if you were to get the real deal? Like neither, um, well, neither will point the, to like an actual, this was real socialism and did, did this. The easiest way to, to see is, is which one offers most choice. And so if you have more choices in the market, then, then that's pretty much going to be the winner because then you have <clears throat> more people producing more things and more choices that brings prices down because you have competition. So that's, it's pretty easy to see once you experience it. Um, if you go into a store in Venezuela not very many options. If you go to the store in the U.S., lots of options. So I would say, yeah, if you, if you consider this uh, the U.S. capitalist, then capitalism is better than socialism. Um, I saw clips of the Tucker interview with Vladimir Putin where he went shopping in Russia, and he was you know surprised and enamored by the Russian supermarket and how much better it is than here in the United States. Well, I think the best measure of which society is... Um, better for people's lives is which direction do they walk? Where do they move? Where do they prefer to go? And I don't see a lot of people rushing from go to the United States into Russia. So that's, I think, on the surface of it, my best measure of it. Okay. But I'm really glad to see that article went uh, concluded with the Economic Freedom of the World Index because it doesn't classify countries by capitalist versus socialist because every country has elements of both. Um, right. Uh, and which so, again is why you could go like this isn't true capitalism or this isn't true yeah, socialism. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I really appreciate the Economic Freedom of the World Index that takes those five basic uh, categories of uh, the level of government spending, how much the government takes from people, um, the openness to free trade beyond borders, um, the soundness of the money, the security of property rights and contracts, and uh, degrees of regulation. And all of them involved with this principle of um, government force versus voluntary action. And where there's more voluntary action, you have people pursuing better ends rather than imposed by, by some superior ruler. So I don't know how long ago this happened, but there was a, an invitation by Vladimir Putin for people in the West who had traditional Christian morals and values to move to Russia to be, you know, in a more... Christian and moral state of affairs. And apparently there was a Canadian family that took them up on this offer and moved, you know, husband and wife and like eight kids to Russia to get away from the, uh, I'm going to call it an abundance of LGBTQ acceptance where they were at in Canada and moving in that direction. And they wanted, you know, the traditional Christian conservative values. And the articles that came out here in the United States was that, you know, they regretted their decision because immediately upon moving, their bank accounts were frozen <laughs> and they had trouble communicating because they didn't speak Russian and all this other things. And they regretted their decision. Um, and then they jump on social media and they say, like, it's terrible here. This was like, this was a bad idea. And then a few days later, like, nope, everything's good. We retracted our, we, you know, we, we didn't mean that. And there was the implication that they got the talking to from the government about... Mm -hmm you know, being anti-government and stuff like that. Um, Were they allowed to move back? They decided against it. They, you know, they, they somehow worked it out. And there's currently, as of the last article that I seen with an update, uh, currently staying there. But well, they, they could be showpieces too. Maybe they are given a lot of privileged position just 
for the publicity value. Well, and that's, you know, if, if that were the case, right, then I would, I would have presumed that the news would be different coming out of Russia or that they would be given that privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? I was either listening to, yeah, I was listening to another podcast um, on, I don't know, so, sometime whilst I've been on vacation or right before I left, and it was, you know, it was, it was a racial thing where, you know, uh, African-Americans, blacks, coloreds, whatever you want to call them, were like invited to move back to Africa. And some of them took them up on this because, you know, for the, for the, the, for the money that they could make working remotely, their standard of living was significantly increased in Africa, right? You go from a two-bedroom apartment to like a six-bedroom farmhouse with a farm. Right. And then you have all the privileges of, of, you know, working the land and you get away from the the racial outcries of, you know, being looked down upon because you're an ethnic minority here amongst the whites. Um, you know, you're 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 surrounded by other people of color. Right. And then, you know, similarly to the Russian situation, it's, you know, well, the grass isn't always greener because for all those benefits and privileges, um, even even the native Africans kind of looked at you as a foreigner. Because you're an American, right? Making an American income, like you know, bringing that, bringing those dollars to Africa and to you know, hopefully to their benefit. Um, but the power goes out often, right? And the, the internet is not steady at best, right? So all the work that you would have done remotely is interrupted by the fact that you have no power and no internet. And is this nice farmhouse with 17 acres of farmland really that much better than your two-bedroom apartment in New York? type of a thing. So is it, you know, is it always the grass is always greener? Do some, you know, do some people, are they able to make it work? You, know, you, you mentioned like which direction people are going and, you know, I, I'm sure more people are coming in this direction, um, but there, there are those looking elsewhere, right? You know, even expats going to South America because it's cheaper to retire there, right? That's, that's also a thing. I also wanted to point out that uh, Tucker Carlson going into one city or one shopping center and seeing things is not representative of the whole country. Uh, most people in Europe are poorer than most people in the U S uh, you know, just because they might have a few cities that are doing really well uh, might be because that's where the money from the government gets spent. <laughs> and that's the same thing that happens in the U S. So, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, crony capitalism around Washington, DC. If the government disappeared, I bet you most of those people would move out into the country and beg for jobs or, you know, do whatever they normally do, like uh, uh, try to steal to get what they want because that's what they're used to. But um, I don't know. So it's yeah. like the media going to North Korea yeah. where they put on a show for them. Yeah, and they, and they do the same thing. Put and, the best foot yeah. forward. And uh, in, in, in China, you know, they've got a few ex- really good examples of, uh, you know, where all their nice buildings are. And you go a little bit further out and buildings are falling over. Yeah. I think one of my favorite lines is, um, everything to the queen smells like fresh paint. when i was uh i was in moscow in 1993 right after the collapse of the soviet union and i went into the foreign exchange store that had everything that i could have possibly wanted from an american grocery store i mean really exotic variety but i noticed that there were only foreigners in that store okay and only very privileged government officials were in there because to buy anything there you had to have dollars they, ah. they were trying to exchange them for rubles, you know, and, and uh, none of the local population were able to, to go into those stores because they didn't have the dollars, you know. I mean, so there's always a privileged position. And, yeah, this, this, I'm, I'm, 
I, I didn't see the example that Tucker Carlson gave, but I would be really uh, surprised that he fell for it if he if he did. <laughs> I, I mean, I, well, I he's a propaganda machine. Let's be clear about that too. Yeah, right. He's just. Um, I don't know. I I think he's probably an honest person that just fell for it. He's he's fallen okay. for lots of things before. He he's admitted, you know, he fell for the whole Iraq war thing. You know, he's, he's like, right. oh, I'm so bad. It's like, like no, like really, you have to like step back every time you do something and you call out something. You have to step back and say, is 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 this reality or is there something I'm missing? And and I think he gets too caught up with himself and he, you know, he is a celebrity okay. and he has that status. And I think he just forgets to check himself sometimes and, and, and look at history, like, you know, what they did in Korea and uh, China and ever in Russia, you know, they had the same pr- type of propaganda thing in Russia before. And s- some of those people did get fooled and some of them were just lying because they're evil socialist communists that, that, Want, wanted Russia to succeed. So, all right. I mean, fair enough. If if that's your take, you know, fine. If he's gullible, okay. I you know, I don't I don't know enough of him, nor he's, do I watch his show regularly. He's he's admitted to being gullible in the past. Okay, and he, he you know, <laughs> maybe somebody needs to explain to him that yeah, yeah you got to get. So when when I went to uh, Poland, it's like oh yeah, this this nice tourism area. This is amazing. Well, you, you go like three streets down, and it goes downhill pretty quick. You know? <laughs> yeah. the, the point that MC made earlier is crucial to this whole thing about wealth. It's the choices that you have. Yeah, you can save on maybe the house versus the apartment in New York City versus the house in the countryside, but that's only one choice. If you're in New York City, look at the choices that you have that you don't have out on the farm in Senegal. Yeah, all right. I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Final thoughts? Uh, no. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure being here live and in person, but we'll, we'll wrap it up there. That's that's the time it takes to do this show. Um, you guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash the anarchistexperience. And if you would like to contribute to this show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. <laughs> again, again with the aloha. Aloha. Right. <laughs>